0: And that's really how we prevent bullying and breeding bullies, right? Is to like take accountability for our piece of it and set a boundary for the other side.
1: One of the best things we can do as adults is help our children see the world in shades of gray rather than black and white. Rejection is a normal part of life. Whether our young child is doing the rejecting and making us cringe, or they're being rejected, which can have us seeing red or feeling heartbroken, knowing how to handle peer rejection, which is an inevitable part of development, provides us with the opportunity to help our child learn important life lessons and build their empathy, resilience, and critical thinking skills. Here today to answer a listener's question about how to navigate this tricky situation is Dr. Emily Upshur. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know Emily. She is the co-founder of our joint practice upshur Bren Psychology Group in Pelham, New York. And she's also the mother of three, so she has a wealth of knowledge and experience in this subject. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy-to-understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hello, welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Emily Upshur. Hi, so good to be here again. So you're here because we have another listener question. Um, This listener wrote that she's wondering if we've ever talked before or can talk about rejection and how to deal with it, specifically when a kid rejects another kid, how to navigate that and deal with it emotionally.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, this happens so often. Right. And I think we, the, an important piece of what I think we would like to talk about today is like both sides of this, right? Being rejected and also maybe being the one who's a rejecting, right? The kid mm-hmm. rejecting. I think the tenants are the same. You sort of the fundamental mm-hmm. underlying values here are really similar because what we're trying to do is sort of that, va- you know, of course, validate our child's feeling and the what's happened in in the moment. Right. But in that same token, I think it's really important to think about the environment, what happened here. Right. Can we, can we sort of stand in the other person's shoes? Can we sort of do a little bit of what we call reflective functioning? Like that person hit you and that's not okay. And that must feel really rotten. I wonder what was going on with them. Right. Or I wonder what happened right before you know, and did something occur in during those situations, we call those the ABCs, right? The antecedents, behaviors and consequences of things. So I guess that my main goal here as a first line is to be curious, right? To mm-hmm. not close off my parent, like, not get into my parenting zone of like, what happened? Something happened to you? Or, you know, you did something like, you You know, know, some mama bear or
1: mama bear or papa bear can come out in
0: those moments for sure. And, And when that comes out, I think we end up closing down conversations rather than opening them up. So I think our main goal here is to open up conversations and to remain curious so we can really figure out the nuance of this, right? If they can be, much, they're often and almost always are much more complex than what's presented to us by our, you know, our kids.
1: Yes, I agree. And I think you bring up a really good point. And I think sometimes, like you're saying, our our mama bear or papa bear instincts will kick in or just our fear, like someone hurt my kid or someone made my kid feel bad or my kid hurt someone else or made another kid feel bad. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, I have to like, crack down on that or what's wrong. Like we, we can very easily panic in that moment. I think that's a very reasonable feeling that can overcome us. So I think I always sort of recommend starting with for just your own parent self to say, I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to get a tiny little bit of space here. I'm going to sort of, and model that too for my kid, right? Oh, (sighs) this is tough. Let's think about this. Let's slow it down. I always suggest slowing it down and even just say, hey, let's slow things down and take a look at what happened here. huh?" You're saying, and then I would use a lot of narration rather than interpretation, right? So you're telling me that um, you were at the playground and this kid said, you can't play with us. And then he, you know, kind of pushed you away and walked away that probably didn't feel good, right? So I'm narrating the things I'm hearing. I'm not passing judgment on them. I'm just trying to like get an objective read on the things. And then I'm sort of kind of trying to connect with my child's emotional experience. I oh, bet that didn't feel good. I'm sorry that happened to you. Right? So I can, I can sort of have this objective read on things, narrating, putting things into a story, making sense of it, validating their emotional experience. And then there's that curiosity. I wonder what was going on for them. I wonder what was happening. What was going on before? You know, so then you go kind of, you're zooming out. You're going, you're pressing rewind, trying to help your kid create context, you know, this is a building block of empathy, right? Trying to understand what's going on in the other person's mind when they do something that doesn't feel good to us versus immediately assigning them the role of the villain. Like it's, you know, they are the aggressor and I am the victim. I think we can get trapped if we go that route with our
0: kids, you know? Um, our kids can get trapped, right? Cause they'll cut, they might, as they get older, come out of a situation like that saying, it wasn't my fault. This is what happened. Right. So I think getting out of those binary holds, right, of like black and white thinking and things that we know to be tricky for kids to really take ownership of their side of things or to tolerate the distress that they might have done something to contribute to the interpersonal dynamic. We sort of know. know that as adults as we zoom back and I love like slow down, right? We can take a better look at like, well, this is a little trickier than just you're wrong and he's right, or he's wrong and you're right. Right. There, they can, there can be some, like, you know, I think it's always important to set some firm boundaries about violence. Right. So we are we're a hundred percent not advocating that you ignore that or downplay that there can be very firm boundaries around that, but that's not where the story should end. Right. We should zoom out a little bit. And I like the idea of like, you know, being really zoomed in and the motions and then maybe zoom out and look at sort of the context and what's happening.
1: Yeah. And I think too, like going into this idea of like, we don't have to take sides, right? We, we can very much support our child Mm -hmm. and their emotional, you know, safety while not being very quick to be like, I don't like the way they behave. That was mean. That's not an okay thing to do. Like, obviously you could say like hitting is not okay. I wonder what was going on for him that he felt so out of control.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think like, this is a tricky piece, and I, but I think it's so valuable is really accountability, like personal accountability. I think when we teach children, you know, just in your example to say like, you know, hitting is never okay and violence isn't okay. and You really should have a boundary around that. But if I pull back a little, I'm thinking, what happened right before this? Like, were you, you know, like, I can just say for my own kids, I'm like, were you being a bit of a scotch? Like, were you a little bit, you know, were you poking the bear a little? Or did, did you maybe think it was unkind? Or, or maybe, like, maybe it was hard for that kid, because you kept winning, and you weren't being a nice winner. You know, like, mm-hmm. I think there are ways that we can both validate and and make a boundary around the inappropriate behavior, but also, you know, maintain a little bit of the accountability for the Mm -hmm. dynamic. And that's really how we prevent bullying and breeding bullies, right. Is to like, take accountability for our piece of it and set a boundary for the other side. Right. And I right. think that that's actually really hard as a parent, when something, when you feel your child has quote unquote been wronged to say like, my, my kid had a role in this, even a slight tiny, teeny, tiny one. Yeah. Um, you know, cause we really, we really think, and when we get it, you know, into that sort of like protector mode it's harder to be more nuanced in that way
1: right and I'll say like there are certainly some times where like there's no you did nothing like I have watched my son out of absolutely nowhere just push my daughter down and she didn't do anything like her just being a human being in his space was enough to you know set him off And so in those situations, I do say like, you know, I think he's having a really hard time. How are you? And I attend to her. So like I do, especially with siblings, because you're usually there, you're usually like, you can catch it like on the playground or getting a secondhand story. It's harder to know, like, "Mm, there's got to be more to this story. And I think there's also something to be said for not always being like, I don't know that I believe you. There's more to this story. Like I, we want to really like let our kid know like, Hey, you're what you're telling me I hear. And I'm going to take it at face value. And also there can be more things going on, even if we don't even realize it, right? Maybe you didn't even notice, or maybe he's having a really bad day. But this idea that we don't immediately say there's a side and a wrong, there's a right side and a wrong side, and you're on the right side and they're on the wrong side. um, I think that just helps to create this sense of like nuance and nuance is a really tricky and developmentally advanced thing for young kids. And so the more opportunities we can sort of teach them nuance, the better, you know, it's yeah. it's something that has to be learned and modeled and practiced. So these are like opportunities to take nuance. And also I do think, you know, taking strong sides when a kid and a friend have an altercation um, can bite us in the butt as parents, right? Because then our kids might get back in sync with that friend. And then now they don't want to talk to us about that friend because we we went off about how much we didn't like that kid and we never really liked the way they treat you. And I don't think that he's a very good friend. And, you know, I think we can kind of, we, we don't want to alienate our kids from feeling like they can return to a relationship.
0: Uh, yeah, I think that's a great, great point. And I think the other piece that's sort of similar to that is, it doesn't help when your kid's on the other side of it, right? Yes. That sort of helps, it sorry, it hinders and it makes it more difficult you know, for you to sort of stand that stake, that stand on the ground. And then I do think as a parent, you feel a lot of shame, right? Because you maybe you've never had been on the other side of that, right? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. so I think it really does sort of imbue much more um, empathy and sort of understanding and really the end goal being better conflict resolution, right? Right. So that's really like, I think we have to zoom out to that. What's our end goal here? Our end goal is Mm -hmm. that our child knows how to navigate this better. Not that they don't, that that they act perfectly all the time, right? right? Again, it's sort of what we talk about with emotions. Like, it's not that we don't say like you can't be angry, but we do say you can't hit, right? right? It's not that we say the emotion is bad. It's the behavior around it that we need to have appropriate. And it's the same thing in this situation.
1: Right. I also think it's very important kind of this idea that like for whether it's our kid is the the person who received the rejection or the aggression or our kid is the person who who delivered it, is this idea that we want to teach all the kids involved that our behaviors don't make a person. So like I engaged in a bad behavior, I made a bad choice, I lost my cool, or someone else did, that we're all still good people and that we might be having a hard time and having a difficult time kind of being in control of what we say or do in that moment. And I think when we hold that standard for the kid that did it to our kid and we hold that standard for our own kid, when they do it to someone else, like that is very much, there's a ton of value in that as like just developing healthy humans to build a society of like empathy and being able to say, Hey, you know what? You did something that wasn't nice, but you're not a mean person.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I say that maybe a million times a day in my own family, right? Like I don't like how you behaved, but that doesn't mean I don't like you, right? Or mm-hmm. I, your behavior was not okay, but that doesn't mean you're not a good kid, right? Like yeah. you're a good kid who did a bad thing or said a bad word, right? You're not a bad kid. Right. And I think and that that's, so, I think you're right. Like parenting traps when you of like, that's a bad kid or, they can't play with my kid anymore, right? That's because that's out of our like knee jerk fear reaction. And I think it's so important to check that Right. Before right. we are faced with our child.
1: And I think if we if we do get in that trap, not only does it put us in a trap, but it can also inadvertently communicate to our own child. OK, when I do behaviors like that, I'm also bad. Right. So it's like we kind of have to watch how judgmental we are of certain behaviors and try to like look on un- just like we want. Like we talk about this all the time on this podcast is like when your kid is doing something, you know, problematic to look underneath the behavior. Right. Yep. And we kind of want to offer that same grace yeah. to the kids that our kids are interacting with, you know, and model for our child how to do that. Right. Oh gosh, he must've really been having a hard time. I know he hit you and what, you know, like it's okay to say, I will not let you hit me, but also I wonder why he did that. Must've been having a hard time. So there's
0: that empathy. Yeah, or what could he have done differently, right? Like there is a teaching moment in that other side too, right? Right, Because our kid will find themselves in that same place. Our kids
1: will do. the kids. Our kids will be aggressive and reject others. And I actually think just to put a big umbrella over this, that like this is developmentally normal behavior for young kids. Young kids reject one another. They fight with one another. They even hit one another. Obviously, we want to help them not do that but they're going to, Uh or they're going to have the urge to. And that that is actually just part of growing up and learning to kind of develop inhibition skills. And that's something that comes with a much more developed frontal lobe and that they, they can't always inhibit an impulse. And so when we, when we, when we sort of vilify a certain behavior as a, as a sign of a bad person, we run the risk of our child feeling like a bad person when they invariably do the same thing. And like kids do play around with this. They play around with their power. They play around with being exclude, excluding other kids and inviting other kids. It's like, it's, it's, it's a rough, it's a rough kind of learning experience. It's, it's, it's painful to watch, but it does happen and it kind of needs to happen.
0: Yeah. And I, and I, and I, I agree totally. I think it's much more important to unpack the situation so that we don't just say stuff like, you know, so-and-so hit you and that was wrong. And don't you ever do that either. Right. So that, that creates, like, I think to your point that I think is a nice and under talked about point, which is, that illusion of perfection, like no child, that's a lot of pressure, right? I can't do this, Mm -hmm. I can't do that, right? And rather than, let's unpack this, what else could he have done? What else could you have done? What are the skills that we can help you build to not have it reach this, uh, you know, like tip of the iceberg, right? Like how can we short circuit this sooner on the chain of events so that we can give you skills to, to have this go in a better direction. Right. Which still
1: houses all of this conversation in what we do, not who we are. Right. Right. Like, okay, this happened. What else could we do in a situation like this? How could we respond differently? We're always just in response to something. We're human beings responding to stimuli at the end of the day. We do everything for a reason. It may not be obvious to the other person what our reasons are because we have subjective experiences, but we are compelled to respond to things. So when kids hit, there's a reason and I'm not saying it's a good reason. I'm not saying it's an acceptable reason, but there is a reason it didn't just fall out of the sky. Yeah. And so helping our kids understand that there's context, context is so important.
0: Yeah. And self-regulation along the way. Absolutely. And I think Mm -hmm. the other piece that I sort of would add to that, which is maybe dovetails a little bit into this is, is there a way to sort of like with your son set a boundary in a more appropriate way? Right. Like, is there a way to kindly, quote unquote, reject someone, you know, like that's like, how do we gracefully um, handle, you know, not wanting to play with somebody or needing to set your own boundary? Mm -hmm. And look, we as adults struggle with this. (laughs) So, you know, it can be very difficult to figure out how to do it with kids. But I think that's our goal, right, is to Mm -hmm. be able to sort of increase our communication and our self-regulation skills during those moments.
1: I do think like giving kids concrete skills to be able to set boundaries, because I often think when kids are rejecting one another or in aggression with one another, it's usually often, especially with young kids, it's not to be mean. It's usually because they've run out of of a way to say they need something different. So like, you know, this comes up a lot in my house with my kids. Like my my son will yell at my daughter, like, get out of my room. I don't want to play with you. And, you know, I could go in and say, hey, you need to be nice to your sister and you need to let her play with you. Or I could say, huh, I think you need space. What is a way that you could ask for space in a more kind way? Yeah. Could you do this? Could you do this? Could you do this? And so it's like, I actually have to give my child a little permission to have that autonomy and to say, no, I don't want to play with you. But how can we teach them to say no kindly in a way that's more socially sophisticated <laughs> um, and it doesn't leave another child feeling as rejected.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, like, look, we do this all the time as adults, right? Like yeah. we say white lies all the time and then we like, you don't want our children to lie, right? Like that's a graceful way of getting out of a dinner that you don't want to go to is to say, Oh, well, I'm <laughs> very tired or I have another engagement, right? Kids don't have those skills and they don't have that repertoire of experience to know how to gracefully get out of a social situation, even if it's appropriate. Right? right. Even in the most appropriate way. Um, this happens a lot with play dates, I think. And that's an important um, piece yeah. that is common, you know, um, you know, I don't want to play with this kid, but I kind of want to play with this kid, but how do I address that? You know, and, and I think we might not know the answer right, as the grown up, and talking it through and being collaborative with our, with our, with our children about how to best preserve the relationships Right. And be kind, but also establish our boundaries is really important. And maybe we have to do that together. Like maybe we figure that out together with our kids.
1: Yeah. And I think as parents, sometimes we get kind of stuck in this place where we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like if our kid says, I don't really want to play with that girl, but I really want to play with this girl. We'll be like, you're that's mean. You know, you can't exclude, right? Excluding people is mean and we don't do that. And I get the urge to do that. I mean, I think every mom who's ever been a kid who got excluded by a girl growing up really wants to sort of say, you can't be that mean girl, Mm -hmm. right? That's a terrifying idea in our mind that we could have a child who's the mean kid.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so we very understandably can get very like, i got to shut that down right now. The thing is, if I believe our objective in that moment is to help our child to be the kind kid, right? So... We have to understand that it's a bit of a long game here. If you just shut down the quote unquote mean behavior without helping them understand that there's a wish underneath that, right? The wish might be, I want to play with that kid. I like that kid. That feels good to play with that kid, Um To go there, or even to say the wish might be to not play with that other kid, and that that's also okay. So we want to acknowledge our children's agency and give them some permission to have it. To say you, I think what I'm hearing you say is that you really like playing with this girl, and maybe it doesn't feel as good to play with this girl. Okay, I understand that. That makes sense, and you're allowed to have that wish, right? I wonder how we could invite somebody. without making the other person feel left out. What would you do in this situation? What would feel good to you if you were the, or like, what would it feel like for you to be the person who didn't get invited? How would that, how do you think that would feel?
0: Yeah. Okay, well,
1: do we want, there's ways that you can have a conversation without immediately shutting it down as mean. Um, And again, I think this goes back to like not labeling the child, but labeling the behavior. Oh, you know what? I think that might leave someone feeling a little left out. Let's think about a way that we can solve that problem together. Do you want to have a special play date with this friend that you want? Because, and then at your birthday party, we're going to invite everybody, you know, like if they, maybe it's like, I don't want to invite them to my birthday party. Well, why don't we have a play date with this person that feels really special to you? And and then at your birthday party, we'll include everybody, um, or something. But like, I think you kind of have to get collaborative with your kid and not just shut it down.
0: I, I totally agree. And I also think like. A little bit of a tricky little thing that comes up is that kids are super concrete and fickle, right? So they might not want to play with someone one day, but the next day they really want to play with someone or they have a scheduled play date with one kid that same day and then they change their mind, right? Because the shinier thing comes on that, you know? So I think it's, I think it's really is very nuanced, right? Like we want our kids to have agency, but we also want them to tolerate you know, that maybe they, maybe if they committed to having a play date with somebody, they're going to have a play date with that, that person. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we navigate that and not be rejecting in the moment? How do we help them to sort of get through that tolerant, tolerating, like in that exact moment, they changed their mind, but maybe they will get to the other side really quickly. You know, yeah. there's a lot in that, that I think is really important for us to sort of be not again, like not in that overproductive parent mode, not face value, right? Like sort of take it all a little bit, slow it down, take it with a grain of salt, narrate what's happening, you know, so that we can help them navigate those situations in a better manner.
1: Yeah. I mean, we really have to kind of be our most skillful selves in these moments because we kind of have to model for them. How do we hold space for all these sides? there is no right answer. There's not one right or wrong thing. So we have to kind of weigh the different options and see how they would feel to us and maybe to somebody else. Like, and I think these are for like maybe older kids, right? Like I'm thinking the five, six, seven, eight to like upwards set. I think for really little kids, you know, my three-year-old often will say, she's not three yet, God. My two and a <laughs> half-year-old will say, you know, I don't want to play with her. She's not my friend. I'm not going to get into a whole really nuanced conversation about yes. how it might, I might, but I might reflect back, oh, ouch, I bet that mm-hmm. didn't feel good to hear that. Yeah. I wonder what else we could say. And I think this goes back for very little kids, sort of at the root of this is really giving them assertiveness skills. I, I always talk about this because it drove me bonkers, but I had like, like my very, when my kids were very little, like... In their very young daycare classroom, the teachers would teach them to say no thank you when they got hit. And it drove me nuts because I was like, I don't want my kid to say no thank you when they get hit. I want my kid to say no, I don't like that. Or no, that's not okay to touch me. Like, I want my kid to be able to be firm. I, you say no thank you when someone offers you Brussels sprouts, right? Like, I want my kids to have manners and be able to say no thank you. I don't want that. That's not for me. I don't want my kids saying no thank you when someone is hitting them. I want them to be able to distinguish that that's something that requires firmness and conviction and clarity in their tone, right? And giving little kids the agency to say no strongly and teach them when that's appropriate and how to do it helps them to be less rejecting of other kids when they're older because they're actually able to, like, assert their boundaries. And it's usually kids who feel like their boundaries are being encroached upon are the ones that usually will do like the aggressive behavior or the rejecting behavior because they are, they are feeling trapped and they, they'll get more aggressive in how they protect their, their space.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's a really good point. And I also think if, if we do treat, teach that at an earlier, at an earlier age, we sort of also get the potential of stopping the behavior. Like if the child like in a scenario where a child takes a toy from another child and then the child hits the child. Right. If we okay. can, if we can teach a surgeon, we can say, no, don't take my toy. You know, that might prevent the hitting. Right. Like, right? And, or if you can say, no, don't hit me, you know, like, I, I guess it, it could even, it just provides opportunities for there to be, you know, more appropriate interactions. Earlier.
1: Absolutely, yes. I think teaching assertiveness skills to the aggressive child is probably the most important, right? Because they're being aggressive because they're not able to assert their need. Right? You took a toy from me, and I can't say I was playing with that. Give it back to me now. So I hit. Because that's my, that's my physical version of that, of those words. Yeah. But if we can teach a child to have the words, we can mitigate the, the aggressive communication of, I want that toy back. Sure. Um And also it goes into this place of like, how do we, where's our role in all of this, right? Like, yeah. do we swoop in and rescue and say, no, 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 they are playing with that. Give that back. Um, share your toys. Or do we say... I see you took that toy from her. She seems upset. I wonder what you guys are going to do. Right? Like we don't have to, if we constantly step in and solve the problem and set the set everything straight, we're sort of taking away this opportunity for these very young kids to learn to navigate this stuff so that when they are older, they've got some social skills. They've got some interpersonal conflict resolution skills they can say oh i didn't like that (laughs) and now i have to figure out a way to get my toy back or i have to figure out a way to ask this person to play with me or i have to figure out a person to ask for i have to figure out a way to ask this person for more space
0: I mean, I think this is a great topic. And I think as younger kids, I love laying the foundation for this, right? Like we we're, we we're trying to invest, but like, let's say you're a parent of a little bit of an older kid and, and, you know, who, you know, our earlier years, we, we weren't doing these fundamental things or we tried our best and, and that's totally okay. You're still not lost. You know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think what's so important is we can still teach these skills at older ages as well. Yeah. And teach it's- children how to navigate them and it, and they change. Right. Like their needs and how it's expressed totally changes. So I think, you know, in a future episode, taking care of sort of discussing a little bit of the older elementary, maybe even early middle school years and how to do conflict resolution or sort of deal with rejection um, is a big piece of this, too.
1: Yes, we should totally. Let's do a follow up episode um, where we talk a little bit about how to apply some of these same ideas to the older kids because it gets way harder and way more complicated as they get older, and this stuff doesn't go away.
0: Yep, big pigs, big kids, big problems. Yep. Oh <laughs> little yeah, smaller problems, but it all feels like it's hard as a parent. So I, we might as well um, try to tackle them here. That sounds. Really I
1: agree. Cool. All right, well thanks for coming on and let's let's set up that follow-up episode. Stay tuned. We'll get back to you on it. In this episode, you heard us talk about needing to do a follow-up episode. So that's just what we're going to do. As children grow, rejection only gets more nuanced and complicated. So next week, we are continuing the conversation about peer conflict resolution how to get your child to open up to you, and ways to prevent the formation of a victim narrative when parenting grade school kids. And if you have a question that you want us to answer or a topic you want us to tackle, let me know. You can email me at info at or go to at Dr. Sarah Bren on Instagram and DM me. Parenting can feel hard, isolating, and overwhelming sometimes. So, I hope that by answering your questions directly, Emily and I can be a source of support and strength. We are all in this together. So, thanks for listening, and don't be a stranger.